Hey, welcome back to All That's Interesting, the version of Arts and Crafts I Can Get Down With edition. Today is episode 163, Yellow Gems Created by Meteor Impact and Comb Carved from a Human Skull. My friends, today we are on a journey. Well, two journeys to be exact. And they're going to take us around the world through centuries, various cultures, and there's even a little space travel thrown in for good measure. In the first half of the show, we're going to start with some bling fit for a king. Now, if you're a longtime listener of this show, you know I don't launch us business geese over to our social media stuffs this early in an episode, but I have to make an exception. Please, drop whatever it is you're holding, be it your child or the wheel of a car. It's not important. You need to pick up your phone, and you need to head on over to today's post on Instagram or Twitter, or whatever the fuck it's called when this airs, swipe through until you see the pectoral or a breastplate belonging to the 18th dynasty pharaoh Tutankhamun. I'll give you a second. Yeah, it's extravagant. (laughs) One would say this should adorn the neck of a lady going through her chonky statement jewelry era and not a teenage boy. In any case... Within the thousands of priceless objects buried with Tutankhamun was this breastplate. And I'm sure by now you've noticed the canary yellow gemstone right dead smack in the middle of it. Well, over the past 100 years, the origin of this stone has been something of a puzzle, with bits and pieces slowly coming together to finally form an answer. Thanks to a combination of recent technology, including satellites, chemical analysis, and more, this gem, well, I I won't give it away. I can't give it away now, but let's just say it took a chance encounter between Earth and a perfectly timed celestial object, landing in the perfect place for it to form. Then after the break, something just as unique, but for different reasons. Um, During a good old archaeological excavation in Cambridgeshire, England, a curious relic from the past was found. It looks like a comb, which may not sound exciting right now, but my friends, there's no wear and tear on the teeth, and oddly enough, it's made from bone. Human bone. Specifically from a skull. And more evidence suggests it wasn't even meant to be used to style hair, but to be worn like a necklace. So, who made it? Who was it made from? When and why this was a thing shall all be revealed. In the meantime, I'm Jill Chacha, and if this is your first time listening, welcome to the flock, my creative business goose. To begin, we need to charge up the old time machine and head on back over a century to when the curious craze of ingesting, digesting, pulverizing, snorting, double-fisting, mummified remains (laughs) turned a corner and entered its archaeology phase. Now, that was a mouthful. And if any of that sounded brand new to you, yeah, my friends, the West had been, let's just say, repurposing the remains of Egyptians for centuries, even adding them to paint. Now, if you haven't heard that doozy of a pickle, pause this and have a listen to episode 088. Of course that happened. Mummies were once an ingredient in paint. (laughs) Right now, we're back in the year 1922, 
in Egypt, of course, and we're with British archaeologist Howard Carter, who along with his team just cracked open the seal of Tutankhamun's resting place and just dove right the fuck in. Among the 5,000-plus items which were to join this 19-year-old in the afterlife was a breastplate, unlike anything seen before. Well, by Western eyes, anyway. It was mostly made of gold and silver, and there were a number of recognizable stones in there as well. But if you had a gander at the photo of it on our social media stuffs, you would have noticed the winged scarab right in the middle, made from yellow, translucent gemstone. Now, what the hell is a scarab, you may be asking? Well, don't worry, I've got you. It's a precious jewel or any material chiseled into the shape of a beetle. A creature which symbolized birth, life, death, and resurrection, so really no big deal. This particular scarab represented the god Ra, and if you look closely, with its little arms, it's holding up a platform. And on that platform is the sun and moon, and they're traveling into the sky. This fucking breastplate, this breastplate is dramatic as fuck. And I'm happy to report that it's safely stored at the Museum of Egyptian Antiquities in Cairo. That's today. But back in 1922, in the hands of Carter's team, when analyzed with what knowledge and experience they had at the time, the yellow stone could only be described as quartz. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't had a geology class in a minute, so I looked up quartz. Like, what, what, what is that? Um, turns out, if I just said the word crystal to you, you'd probably imagine quartz. It's a classic glassy-looking crystal. And it happens to be the most common material, I'm sorry, the common, happens to be the most common mineral on Earth. It's only made of two elements, oxygen and silicon, but when their atoms join together, a magical-as-fuck shape forms, a tetrahedron, or a three-sided pyramid. This is what causes that classic crystal shape, and it takes billions of tetrahedrons to build even the tiniest crystal. So... My exquisite business goose. That is what our novel gemstone was dubbed quartz, but with a hefty serving of maybe. To get a closer look, we'd have to be patient as humans explored more of the world and as we tinkered with technology. But you and I have a goddamn time machine and we don't have to put up with that shit. So my friends, join me, will you, as we fire it back up and fast forward a decade later. And we've landed practically in the middle of nowhere. I'm serious. You and I are standing in one of the most isolated areas on Earth, which means it's imagination time. Please picture the northeast corner of Africa and point to Egypt. Thank you. Uh, to its left is Libya, and between those two countries is a sea, not made of water, but sand. And you and I are somewhere in the middle of what's called the Great Sand Sea, which is a mind-shattering section of the Sahara Desert. It's 72,000 square kilometers, or 28,000 square miles in size. 28,000 square miles. Are you panicking? Because I am. I can't imagine being here without satellite GPS, but here we are in the 1930s with British geographer Patrick Clayton, who stumbled upon a literal needle in a haystack. 
I'm talking about finding tiny yellow stones in this gigantic sea of fucking sand. Just to put all of this, including the size of these stones, into perspective, head on over. That's right, head on over to our social media stuffs. I have a photo of some of these in a pile, and it looks, it just looks like sand. I mean, they're a little shinier and a little clearer, but finding this against actual sand in a desert, oh man, good fucking luck. <laughs> anyway, they were miraculously found, and they looked identical in color to the famous scarab from Tutankhamun's crypt. Patrick had a hankering that the source of that scarab had to be these yellow stones, which he named Libyan Desert Glass, or LDG. And honestly, thank you, Patrick, for not naming it after yourself, because this was the 30s after all. It was a thing to do at the time. So, my sweaty friends, let's get back in our time machine, because you're not going to want to wait around for the next chapter of this desert glass. And, my God, for you see... Patrick's hypothesis that these two were the same, it wasn't confirmed until 1998. Yes, the late 1990s, when Italian mineralogist Vincenzo Di Michele analyzed the optical properties of the gemstone and said, see, see, this is a large piece of LDG. This is getting exciting. We're getting somewhere and we're just getting started. I think it's time to tell you yet another fun fact about LDG. Other than it can only be found in this remote area of the world, it's also a very special kind of quartz. It's mostly made of oxygen and silicon, yes, but there are scant traces of iron, nickel, chromium, cobalt, and iridium. Anyway, these are metals, you know, like metals found deep inside the earth and are occasionally brought up thanks to a volcanic activity. But... There ain't no volcanoes in or around the Great Sand Sea that could melt sand mixing all of these elements together. Maybe. Just maybe our answer isn't below us. That's right. That's right. You guessed it. The answer may be from above. Quote, It's been a topic of ongoing debate as to whether the glass formed during a meteorite impact or during an airburst, which happens when asteroids called near-Earth objects explode and deposit energy in Earth's atmosphere. Dr. Aaron Cavassi from Curtin University said in a, in a statement to curtain.edu.au. So, my friends, we have two options before us. Let's start with an airburst which may sound like a brand of candy, but I assure you, is totally not. It's not sweet at all, especially when a big one happens. All sorts of shit can get fucked up, if I may be so poetic. <laughs> Let's talk about the following example. A lot has happened in the last couple of years, so you may be forgiven if you don't remember back in 2013, when, quote, Earth was struck by the most spectacular and dangerous meteor impact in living memory, the Chelyabinsk meteor, end quote. Well, yeah, it happened. And that was from Tom Hale of LiveScience.com. And Tom wrote up one hell of a good summary about this particular airburst, which I wanted to read to you, but I had a thought. You know what? <laughs> Let's have a little fun 
and once again employ our non-problematic friend, AI here. I went to, uh, to Speechify.com, entered all the text, and crossed my fingers that the platform would alternate reading excerpts in Russian and then translating it to us in Australian English, <laughs> all in honor of the last time we used AI, who read to us in episode 156, a fence is speeding up kangaroo evolution. So here we go. <laughs> Let's learn about, about this insane airburst. I really hope this works. Um, okay, I'm nervous. Here we go. On February 15, 2013, on February 15th, 2013, at 9.20 a.m., as people were getting ready for the day, the sky above Russia lit up with a bright streak above Chelyabinsk Oblast in the southern Ural region. Shocked onlookers didn't know at the time, but this was the result of a space rock crashing to Earth. At an altitude of around 30 miles, it is slammed into the atmosphere at a speed of 42,690,000 miles per hour. Resulting in a violent shockwave that was roughly the equivalent of a 440 kiloton explosion of TNT, according to NASA. At an altitude of around 30 miles, it slammed into the atmosphere at a speed of 42,690 miles per hour, resulting in a violent shockwave that was roughly the equivalent of a 440 kiloton explosion of TNT, according to NASA. Later research indicated that the celestial airbudget initially measured around 65 feet wide and weighed approximately 12,000 tons. It had relatively small for a meteorite, but it clearly packed a punch. Windows shattered, car alarms went off, and ROFS collapsed, resulting in the injury of some 1,500 people. Later research indicated that the celestial object initially measured around 65 feet wide and weighed approximately 12,000 tons. That's relatively small for a meteorite, but it clearly packed a punch. Windows shattered, car alarms went off, and roofs collapsed, resulting in the injury of some 1,500 people. Thanks to smartphones, vehicle dash cams, and security cameras, the event is perhaps the first time a prominent meteor streak was recorded from numerous angles simultaneously, allowing scientists to study it. Thanks to smartphones, vehicle dash cams, and security cameras, the event is perhaps the first time a prominent media strike was recorded from numerous angles simultaneously, allowing scientists to study it. Okay, that, that's, a, that, that's a success in my book. I like that. It, it was okay. That worked. And yes, the Chelyabinsk air, airburst was an incredible event. And yes, if you fire up the old tube of you and search Chelyabinsk airburst or meteor burst over Russia, you'll get many a video and each of them will make your jaw drop. And while you do that, I'm just going to take a minute and thank the atmosphere for protecting us from so many space horrors. Jesus Christ. In sum, my tiny business goose, airbursts can be ferocious. But as we know from previous episodes, such as episode 150, the largest asteroid to hit Earth, and how to survive the Chicxulub impact, when a meteor does make contact with our surface, actual hell 
breaks loose. But on the other hand, some beautiful things can form, as we're about to see. Dr. Aaron Cavasy, who we just quoted from before, works in the Space Science and Technology Center in Curtin School of Earth and Planetary Sciences. And he went on to close the fucking book on the origin of Libyan desert glass and King Tut's scarab. Finally, in 2019, when powerful enough doohickeys were invented to analyze these stones on a molecular level, Dr. Aaron fired them up and went to town. So, what did he find? Drumroll, please. Thank you. He told curtain.edu.au, quote, Zircons in the glass preserved evidence of the former presence of a high-pressure mineral named redite, which only forms during a meteorite impact. Both meteorite impacts and airbursts can cause melting. However, only meteorite impacts create shock waves that form high-pressure minerals. So finding evidence of former redite confirms it was created as a result of a meteorite impact. End quote. Okay. <laughs> we have an answer, but also what? What was all that? Don't worry, I spent some time on the Googles, and I went through it one by one, and I got you. Okay. Zircon. My friends, it's one of the oldest, most durable minerals on Earth. According to amnh.org, a few grains of zircon were found in a sandstone from Western Australia, and they were dated back to 4.2 to 4.3 billion years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're formed by crystallization of magma and are so resistant they rarely erode. In sum, they stick around when catastrophic events occur. occur. And when shit does hit the fan, evidence can be found inside them. Enter redite, which only shows up when zircon experiences high pressure and high temperature, aka a meteor impact. So, holy fuck, there it is. These stones were formed from a meteor impact. Round of a goddamn applause. Now, I know what you may be thinking. I know. Wouldn't there be, like, a crater? <laughs> fuck you're a genius. Well, get this. Yes. In 2020, satellites snapping pics of the terrain between two villages on the Egyptian side of the Great Sand Sea revealed this. Yes, we're doing it again. Head on over to our social media stuffs and tap on today's post. Swipe on through and take a peek. That, my friends, is a crater, a previously unseen crater tentatively named El Bahar, and it's approximately 327 meters wide. Oh my god. This may be the impact site which birthed one of the rarest gemstones on the planet, one suitable for a king. And get this too. According to researchers' clickety-clack calculations, the meteor hit around 29 million years ago. <laughs> this is a very long story indeed. After the break, the old shit just keeps coming. We're leaving Egypt for England, and we're swapping breastplates for possible necklaces. <laughs> Grab your loved one's head and a whittling knife. Uh, I'm going to explain. Stay tuned.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And we're back. We are so back. And my friends, we racked up a lot of miles on our time machine this episode. So let's leave it plugged into charge and just give it a sec. In the meantime, I'll just tell you about a little period called the Iron Age. As the name suggests, this was an era when people across Europe, Asia, and Africa invented and fine-tuned the process of making tools from iron and steel. Britain's Iron Age ran for a hell of time. It spanned all the way back from 750 BCE all the way to 43 CE. It was populated by tribal groups that built hill forts and castles, but despite their advances, these folks succumbed to the Roman Empire, which is why their Iron Age ended so abruptly in 43 CE. The Romans just took over. But that's a story for another day. We're going to focus on a time before that invasion, because a recent archaeological dig uncovered some incredibly fascinating stuff that revealed, let's just say, a unique cultural practice. I think our time machine has enough juice by now, so let's fire it up and dial it just a wee bit back to 2016 and 2018. My friends, in just these two years, 280,000 artifacts had been excavated from a dig site at Bar Hill, a village just four miles northwest of Cambridge. And for my fellow geographically challenged Americans, you may be wondering where that is. Don't worry, I've got you. Please imagine. England. Thank you. Now point to the southeast corner. There is London. Uh, now move your finger north, just a smidge. Now east. Voila, there is Cambridge. And we're a wee four miles away from there, which is easy enough. But what's not so easy is wading through, identifying, and cataloging 280,000 items from a past that's so different from the world we know today. Needless to say, it took Michael Marshall, a prehistoric and Roman finds specialist from Museum of London Archaeology, or MOLA, and his team a minute to get the artifact we're about to cover. My friends, I've been bossing you around today. <laughs> I've been telling you to go over to YouTube and our social media stuffs. Well, it ain't gonna stop, so please tap on today's post. Pass through all the yellow gem photos. Get to the end, and what you're gonna see is, well, it's a very tiny fragment of bone that's definitely been tampered with. Quote, 
Archaeologists near Cambridge, England have identified a 2,000-year-old comb made from a portion of a human skull. Dating to the Iron Age, the hair-raising discovery offers insight into, into how communities preserved and handled human remains. End quote. From Molly Enking of SmithsonianMag.com. Yes, my friends, you heard Molly right. Researchers found what looks to be a comb made from a skull, and it dates back to between 400 and 100 BCE, when a tiny settlement existed at Bar Hill. Now, you may have a few questions like, okay, and why? Ah, great questions. Well, hold on to your butts and your hearts, because the answer may be more relatable than expected. My weird business goose. You probably won't be shocked to hear this isn't the first comb, or I'm sorry, this isn't the first time a comb-looking object made from a human skull has been found. This is the third time. <laughs> the first was found in the 1970s, and it has distinct carved teeth. The second was found in the early 2000s, and its design featured carved lines. The third, this one if you look closely, has teeth that are more rectangular. And here's the kicker. All three were found within 15 miles of one another. This fact is what drives the current theory. Quote, the Bar Hill comb may have been a highly symbolic and powerful object for members of the local community. It is possible it was carved from the skull of an important member of the Iron Age society whose presence was in some way preserved and commemorated through their bones, Michael Marshall told mola-newsroom-.prgloo.com. My friends, not only did this process honor the dead, but the distinct features, the particular way the comb was crafted may have signaled where it came from, Think of it like wearing the jersey of your local sports ball team. You're practically repping your community, essentially. As Michael further explained, quote, these carved teeth and lines would have emphasized the Bar Hill comb's origin, at least among communities familiar with skeletal remains, as many in the Iron Age would have been. Rather than being an anonymous piece of bone, it symbolized and uh, its symbolism and significance would therefore have been immediately apparent to anyone who encountered it." End quote. So, this is pretty hardcore. <laughs> and also kind of sweet in a, well, that's interesting fashion. But um, I know what you're thinking, other than, damn, uh, how do we know? It could have been worn and, wait, 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 wait. You said communities would be familiar with identifying or using skeletal remains? Uh, what, what does that mean? Again, great questions. First, yes, according to Mola Newsroom, across Britain at this time, researchers have found many examples of pieces of human skull thought to be worn as amulets. And in addition, quote, Objects made from human bone may have been used in special rituals relating to the dead, and others were just a part of everyday life. For example, other archaeological excavations in Cambridgeshire have uncovered tools for cleaning animal skins made from human leg bone and arm bone." End quote. So, 
During the Iron Age, if your mother told you to go ask your father for help, you'd, you'd take that literally, even if he was dead. And uh, as for this comb, there's a partial circle drilled into one side, which means a string could have been tied through. Also, check out those teeth. <laughs> this is something 2,000 years old. It's looking pretty great. This wasn't a functional piece. As of this recording, the comb has been catalogued and, catalogued and stored at the Cambridgeshire Archaeology Archive. Michael and the gang are moving on to 200,000 other pieces that are still just that they still need to be explained and explored. I cannot wait. So please watch this space. And thank you for listening, rating, subscribing, telling your friends about these yellow gems that only exist thanks to a meteorite impact at a certain point in the world at a certain time. Like, I can't. I can't. I can't. And tell them about how shit's carved out of human skulls all the time. And so that's, and it's a completely normal thing. And don't give them any, like, context. And uh, also a big huge thanks to the folks over at Airwave Media, the podcast network to which WTI belongs. If you love this show, you're going to love the other podcasts in this family. And please stay interesting. <laughs>